put forth on the field yesterday, last night. Despite having an injured Patrick Mahomes, injuries to several key players, incredible amounts of outside noise, and the referees against them the entire game, the Chiefs made short work of the Bungles. I mean, Bengals, and sent them off to the offseason. Well, I hope Eli Apple has fun in Cancun. I also hope that Mayor Jabroni and the rest of the Cincinnati fan base <laughs> learned a valuable lesson last night. It is called Arrowhead. It is the loudest, toughest place to play in the NFL with the strongest fan base. A special thank you to Patrick Mahomes, Harrison Butker, Travis Kelsey, Chris Jones, and of course, Joseph Asai for all their wonderful efforts last night. We couldn't have done it without you. And to the Philadelphia Ooh. Eagles... We'll see you in Arizona. Go Chiefs! Mr. Speaker, I yield back. All right, Congressman Mark Alford's Alford. has got jokes. <laughs> yeah. Who wrote wow. that? Is it the same guy that writes for Kennedy? Also, uh, that guy's going to go down in history as Mayor Jabroni. I'm sorry. That is hilarious. Imagine getting owned by Travis Kelsey. We have the mayor's response, by the way, from Cincinnati. Okay. Really? Yeah, I'm anxious to see how he responded. But, uh, yeah. Uh, I think the best response would be to just... Keep his mouth shut? Yeah. Right. <laughs> Jabroni? Shut your mouth. Uh, Mark Olford with... So Stephanie asked a really good question. Uh, Marsh and I, uh, we love any time that Senator uh, John Kennedy gets up and does two or three minutes on Fox. It's worth the price of admission. Uh, but as Stephanie started wondering, maybe he has a comedy writer. And so now I think anybody, if you heard that segment we did about 15 minutes ago here on the show, anytime you watch... Senator Kennedy on Fox News, you're going to be one. I heard Stephanie Bell on Wake Up Mid-Missouri, 93.9 The Eagle, 104.5 News Radio, 950KWOS. Wonder aloud if Kennedy has a, a comedy writer <laughs> for his appearances on Fox. We'll always be thinking about that. Mark Olford with, uh, I thought this was pretty good. Work of the Bungles. I mean, Bingles. Cincinnati Bungles. <laughs> and then at the end, calling out. Hey, that Joseph Asai guy, he was the one that uh, he drew the 15-yard penalty that ultimately gave the Chiefs the opportunity to put themselves into the Super Bowl. And he gave him some kudos afterwards. They do. We played some of his audio in the locker room. The dude's in tears. Yeah. He is crying in tears. And I thought it was really cool. Again, I'll go back to the Dallas kicker who missed 17-point afters in that one playoff game a couple of weeks ago to come out and do that. People say, well, they're multimillionaires. That's what they're supposed to do. Yeah, but they're also human beings. And when you make a mistake that bad... Mm -hmm. uh, it's kind of hard to do sometimes, and to be able to do it, I thought was really cool. Besides, Joseph, aside, you know, we love you here in Missouri. <laughs> Hopefully, you, you get some forgiveness at home, too. Welcome. He's a good, he's a good ball player. He, he certainly he certainly had a great career in college. Really good. Uh, really good. Uh, really good ball player facing the music, taking ownership of his mistakes, too. Yeah. And that's the other thing. 22, how is it? That you have people in positions of administration, let's say like of schools and stuff, people in their 50s and 60s, uh, that can't take a lesson from this 22-year-old ball player. You take ownership, even when you make a mistake. Why is it we have we have the uh, uh, PR for, for a local school district in their 60s and an administrator in their uh, 50s or 60s, they can't do what a 22-year-old kid did. What this 22-year-old kid did, he, he took ownership. I made a mistake. 
I'm sorry, what can I do to make this right? I, I think there's one other thing here, too, about the actual issue of, of CPS that I think is very important. Well, I didn't it, say CPS. Well, I'm not sure, but I, I, I definitely think in terms of the, the contentious, uh, and it was contentious at times, the bench trial. Brandon, you ask a very good question several times a week on, on this program, and you ask, why is this important to our listeners, and you might say in Callaway County or whatever. Mm-hmm. And to to the point, sometimes people think the what happens in the state legislature when they pass bills is routine, it's boring, etc. But really, where Basie won this case is one word in one state law, and the word was shall. Shall. If they had used the word may when they wrote that bill last year, I don't know that he wins this case, but the word was shall, and that's why these, and it was a fairly, at the time, routine bill, um, barely got any media attention at all. We learned that this law is a first, this is really, this is an unprecedented case. There was no case study for Judge Jacobs to look at. Nothing has been looked at right now. Uh, the CPS, uh, somebody, I think it was Basie's attorney, said actually there was a ruling involving St. Louis Public Schools. The judge said no, not in, not in this particular law. So one word is what it boils down to, which proves the point how important it is the work that the lawmakers do. What might be routine at the time is not necessarily routine. In this case, it's anything but routine. And we're still not done yet. We could have an appeal. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's the name, Chuck Basie, and this is a separate issue for the Columbia Public School District to judge saying uh, yesterday um, that Columbia Public School District wrote the law. We also have this real quick because I want to bring this up. We had somebody text us, and apparently they've been having a conversation um, with uh, Brianna Lennon, it looks like, via, uh, via a message or email. Uh, Brianna Lennon says, I want to clarify, we didn't ask for the change of judge in the lawsuit that was filed by CPS. I'm trying to clarify every news account I'm seeing. This is a news account from ABC 17. Boone County clerk asks to intervene in Basie CPS case. Yeah, it was an intervener, uh, is an intervener, and uh, is, as I recall, um, that was, and, it, and it, I think technically she's correct, but it, I think the uh, the attorney, Dykehouse, I do believe wanted it, it was a a change of judge um so they switch from judge crane to i think the big thing with with her intervening had to do with the it's very complicated stephanie I, w- I wish you could have been there with me because basie and i talked afterwards and i wasn't quite sure i understood it but it had to do with the more or less about the the way the, the ballot was going to be. Um, the, there's a February 7th deadline. But yeah, yeah, I mean, she, the question the, the, is, is she a necessary party? Because she's the one who prints the ballot. Right. And so when you get the judgment today, there's probably going to be an order from Judge Jacobs that says his name shall be printed on the ballot. Right. Who can he tell to print on the ballot? If he points at CPS and says his name shall be on the ballot, they're going to be like, we don't print the ballots. So, I mean, she really does need to be a part of the lawsuit because the remedy is really directing her to do something and so i mean it makes sense that she's a part of it and then also i think from her perspective you know i I think and i don't know that they're going to get this exactly from this lawsuit there is some question about you know who has the 
who has the ultimate authority here? Because, you know, if you recall, the Secretary of State told Basie, hey, go over and you can file over at her office. And that's where he actually did file. And I think from her, I think I might want some clarity from the court about, hey, if someone comes over to my office right. because their office is closed, can I accept that paperwork? Or under the statute, do they have to file at the board? Um, and so from her, I think it's more of a, what's my scope of authority and responsibility here? And I just want to follow the law. And I think she, I think she does want to follow the and law. St- and Stephanie, that issue came up very briefly in court yesterday. Mr. Dykehouse, who is the intervener's attorney, who is who represents the county, in this case represents Ms. Lennon, he said, and, and again, he used the word moot, but he said in open court, and I don't think Basie's uh, attorney disagreed, that pretty much you can't file in the future at the at the Boone County Clerk's office. But the judge really didn't get into that, and the judge didn't say one way or the other. The whole thing is just, it's very complicated. It really is. And, Marsh, I want to do this. So sometimes we get knocked. Well, you guys are against education. You speak uh, you speak negatively about schools, and that's just not, uh, just speaking the truth uh, is not being negative on schools. Telling the, the truth, that's not being negative. Uh, some kudos, uh, Mr. Marsh for some Blair Oaks uh, athletes today? Yeah, uh, you got the details right in front of you. Some uh, folks being named as some big teams for Blair Oaks. Yeah, and I think they get to hang out with the governor for a little yep. bit and everything. And State uh, championship football, volleyball. Football champions. And, and the volleyball team, too. Yeah. Exactly. And I and I will clarify here, I'm looking at the docket sheet, uh, the motion for change of judge was filed by CPS, not by Brianna Lennon. I think maybe some of the confusion was there was, you know, a whole bunch of motions all filed on the same day, and I think a lot of them were heard on the same day as well. In in Chuck Basie, when he talked to us that day of it, he was under the understanding she wanted a change of judge. But again, it's very complicated. Really, the big thing is she was filing is an intervener. Mm-hmm. She was not sitting at the table. Dykehouse was doing the that just that he was there. He did very little speaking yesterday. Brianna was sitting right next to me in court. The, the county clerk. And after the ruling, I talked to her very briefly and said, am I understanding this correctly, talking about how I wrote this story? And she said, yes, that's that's mm-hmm. basically. So she's she's a lawyer. She's very, very good to work with. But again, filing is an intervener. And that's even hard to explain in layman's terms. But that's really what she is. She's an intervener. Well, the thing it, I keep going back to from, uh, gosh, we heard what was, I think, KMIZ talked to Bill Tack at the former Cole County prosecutor and kind of their legal expert that they use on 17 and when they talked to Tackett he said that the the school district policy appeared to be a jive with state statute and then he said this could always be challenged on constitutional grounds which kind of caught my attention well and it very well could i did see that piece and but it it won't happen right now if they challenge the that particular law on constitutional grounds that's going to be at a later date because they've got to get the ballot done by February the 7th. I, I, I don't have the number right in front of me, John, but that bill, it was pretty bipartisan. I think it passed in the House, let's say 150 to 5, and I'm going from memory. It was so routine, it didn't even get any media coverage. But yet it's, it's you know, now front and center in this case, all boiling down to one one word shall and then basie said something else to us last hour he said they're telling him he, they want to charge him for some sunshine requests and he may file another lawsuit i don't know if he was that's what he said we is had, that legal 
Yes. It, it is. It is. They can legal. charge for research, and a lot of times you do see that, and they'll be like, well, you can have that for 150 bucks. Nothing is greater than like 15 minutes later walking in with a check and like a cheesy grin and just being like, here you go, let's go, let's go. Copies. But importantly, too, Chuck Basie's talked about in this lawsuit, maybe getting attorney's fees. If he goes to battle with CPS, there are specific provisions in the Sunshine Law that if they do it, you know, purposefully or willfully, he could get, you know, he could make them pay his attorney's fees if they are, you know, purposefully withholding documents from him. I think the one thing better whenever you get somebody who says, well, uh, do you think when people charge for Sunshine requests, do you think sometimes they're doing it because they're trying to stifle your request? Absolutely. Okay, I'm just making sure. But, 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 but there is a but here, and I, I, I've, I've got to say this in fairness. When I was at the Department of Corrections, sometimes people would request it, it would literally thousands and thousands, thousands of documents. Yeah. It wasn't even contra- controversial hey. stuff, but it was. We're talking about in one case, it was 30 hours of work for a researcher on statistics, and yes, the department had to charge I, a couple hundred dollars, and uh, and then the newspaper paid for that. And in the bottom line, 30 hours of work to put all these statistics together. And Brian's right. I mean, some departments, most departments have like one person to handle that request. Some departments have multiple people, but is should it be on the backs of taxpayers right. just because one person submits Sunshine Law requests every single day? So, I, you know, there are instances in which I think it's completely fair to charge people for the time and the state's resources. Um, there are other times where I think it is weaponized against citizens. And I love when, like you said, one of the greatest things in the world is when somebody says, well, uh, this Sunshine request is going to cost you X number of dollars, and you write that check out. The only thing better like than pushing that. the poker chips across the table. Yeah. All right, I call oh. your bluff, dude. Gotcha. Uh, the only thing better than that would be going and paying in pennies. I think. <laughs> uh, so, by the way, Cincinnati mayor has, or of course, Travis Kelsey after the Cincinnati mayor, he dissed the Chiefs, dissed Arrowhead Stadium after the Chiefs won the other night. Travis Kelsey, shut your mouth, you jabroni. Uh, going after the mayor of Cincinnati, the mayor of Cincinnati. You know how he reacted to the comments made by Travis Kelsey on TV in front of maybe almost 30 million people? You know what the mayor of Cincinnati said? He's like, I had that coming. Good for him. He took ownership. Yeah. Uh, he said, yeah, my bad. Again, why can't more people get this? Coming up, Morning Bell, business news. Little twist only Stephanie Bell can give you. What do you got for us today? The Wall Street Journal is reporting the U.S. consumer is starting to blank. Uh-oh. <laughs> this is Wake Up Mid-Missouri with Brandon Rathert. Day 27, time for the Morning Bell, business news. Little twist only Stephanie Bell can give you. Do we have any guesses? Sorry, I don't know what I was doing there, Hannah. <laughs> I'm just... I don't either. We were making, it's time for the business news, a little twist. Only stuff. I'm over here click-clacking like I'm from an Aborigines tribe in Australia. We got a lot of earnings reports coming in this week, and the market was reacting a little negatively yesterday, although today it's the futures are up uh, before the opening of the market. Um, but this new headline gave me a chuckle out of the Wall Street Journal. It says the U.S. consumer is starting to, and technically it's two words, blank, blank. <laughs> um, poop rocks <laughs> is that one of them can I, we use that I think I think we're going to count that okay um, uh freak out and i'm like so the u.s consumer is starting to freak out and i'm thinking wall street journal is that a technical term like that's not the term that i would normally expect from the wall street journal but they're they're comparing how much um like disposable income folks had how much savings people had um 
the percentage of adults who are spending more money than they have coming in, uh, which uh, is a lot, um, depending on your income range. But even folks making $100,000 or more, um, they're saying uh, that 2% more people now are spending more than they're making than they were a year ago. For those under uh, under 50,000, 7% more people are spending over what they earn. So people are just not keeping up with, uh, I think, rising inflation and everything else. And then they talked to some business owners, and I thought this was really interesting, mainly because I don't know anything about tattooing at all. Um, and so I found this fascinating. But they, they talked to um, a, a tattoo artist in New York City. Um, he said he's got lots of customers. They book way out. And a lot of these folks do, like, the day-long tattoo sessions, multiple sessions. Um, and he said... This is Wake Up Mid-Missouri with Brandon Rathard. Seems to know more about it than Congress does that are out there that were not stored properly. They're in his garage or whatever. We want to know what those materials are. The Justice Department possesses them, but the intelligence community knows what they are, and they are refusing to tell us which materials they are. Marco Rubio, senator from Florida, former presidential candidate, saying, okay, so we know that Joe had documents. Quit knocking them, because when they were in his garage, he had the garage locked. Quit knocking the guy. Um, he said, we want to know what was in those documents and frankly so it took a couple of months to find out that documents had been uncovered prior to the midterm election took us forever and a day to find out about those the american people probably should have known and now what's in those documents uh hopefully uh we'll know soon unless and what, <laughs> don't hold your breath I know. Or, or what if there's nothing in there what if it's uh, you go through those classified documents and, and they know, never should have been classified in the first place it's just Stephanie Bell's recipe for fruitcake or something. You know what I mean? Could be. Uh, welcome to the show. There's Stephanie Bell. Good morning. Uh, there's Mr. Brian Houseworth. It's good to see you. Uh, John Marsh is here. Good morning. There's producer Hannah. Good morning. My name is Brandon Rather. Uh, glad you could be here. By the way, John and I, we're going to go do, we're going to try to uh, seek to understand regarding, there's a great, uh, I thought it was a great opinion piece, although I don't really agree with it, from Michael Lester. Uh, War two councilman in Jefferson City talking about Jefferson City housing study as it relates to what was tried tried to sell it to us is this is this is employee develop this is workforce development housing uh, it's affordable housing I think frankly uh, maybe some folks in the city they could have they may have done themselves a favor by being upfront and honest about what this really is and they're going to say it's not affordable housing but it is. <laughs> It is. Uh, that's my take on it. Uh, what are we going to do, John? Beats the heck out of me. You're supposed to go on a tour of, like, uh, where they might be putting some of these. Yeah, there was three or four different apartment complexes that they applied and did not get the uh, HDC money for. And the the whole idea, if you want to call it low-income housing or workforce housing, I think that's just all semantics when you get down to yeah. it. But it's all about uh, having enough people available to to work and there were you know a fair amount of folks out there said fine and dandy but why should a private developer get a tax break and that was something i mean if you go back to and i mention his name obviously people think of what happened to him but it was it was governor greitens who really raised issues about tax credits for these uh these particular projects that said brandon and john the they're looking at three to four um you know low income's not the right term affordable housing maybe is the is the proper term you can use any term you want but this has been an issue 
John in Jefferson City for 30 years. I mean, I remember... uh, Near East Side, there was one they applied for HDC money for within the last 10 years, and they didn't get it. Exactly. And do you remember, John, 1996, there was a proposal to build one next to Charm Tree across from Westview Heights, and people got all worked up. And I think that... That particular um, affordable housing, quote unquote, I don't think it's even there anymore. I think it uh, is closed the last time I drove by. But it's been a it's been a sensitive issue. One of the issues is the tornado knocked out a lot of the homes for the poor people. And uh, right. I, a lot of them right there in the neighborhood near the Jefferson City High School. I talked to one guy after the t- Josh Hawley, the senator, was walking down the street. We met a gentleman. He was working two jobs. He was living in his car. He had nowhere to go. And he was, I remember he, and he was just, he had no hope. Um, it was heartbreaking. And he, he, two jobs, he was living in his car and, you know, it was just, it was awful. I remember seeing that. Uh, well, here's the thing, um, because I really do see both sides. But that's why John and I are going to go do and, and do some more research. We're going to be toured around to see where potentially some of these would, would go. Because if you've got these, you know, big employers, you've got, uh, you know, Unilever and you've, you've uh, got Hitachi. And they're like, hey, we're trying Scholastic. to bring more Scholastic. We're trying to bring good jobs to Jeff City. But we can't recruit because we can't find places for them to live. That's important when you start talking about some of your big-time employers. Yes. Well, and when I went to that housing conference, part of the, you know, the developers were saying, hey, you know, we would offer some of these, this workforce housing, some of this affordable housing, but the programs, the bureaucracy behind the federal programs costs us so much money. And it really costs us in the term, in terms of turnover. Whenever we want to turn these things over, whenever we want to start them up, they end up sitting vacant because we're waiting on the federal government, either the paperwork or these inspections or whatever else. And so then we aren't collecting any money because of we're waiting on the government and so when people say hey you know why do we need these subsidies well it's the federal government that is causing developers to go you know to to choose not to do it because it's not financially feasible so you know we i I think a lot of these people they're they're addressing the city and and some of it needs to you know call your congressman and say hey you know these federal programs they need to be streamlined we need to cut the red tape we need to cut the bureaucracy and make it easier for our local developers to do it in a way that makes sense for everybody and i think that was a lot of the frustration i heard I thought Brandon's suggestion that you made a while back was, what about these uh, these big corporations that are running these factories, the Quaker Windows and all of them? Why can't they help subsidize some of this? Uh, an interesting I, point. Uh, yeah, if you're the ones, if we're saying, hey, we're kind of doing this to protect you and help you to bring in and recruit employees, you're bringing in employees with the hopes that, oh, and there's going to be a place for you to live in our lovely town of Jefferson City, then maybe you can help pay for it. The gist of what Michael Lesser wrote in the Jefferson City News Tribune, I printed this last week, Jefferson City has a severe affordable housing shortage and, unsurprisingly, a severe worker shortage. Well, if we have a worker shortage, then why do we need to build housing? There's no... (laughs) I'm kidding. Which came first, the chicken or the egg? Build it and they will come. Uh, Goes on to say, uh, misopponents will use misinformation to derail such developments. And he makes some comparisons because the Jefferson City News Tribune, I thought, did a really cool thing a couple weeks ago. They took the, um, um, like, opposite, they counted the opposition letters and comments. And I thought it was pretty interesting. But he is saying that some of these things are uh, are not true, that uh, developments will bring drugs and increased crime. Uh, he writes, no evidence for this type of housing have that uh, impact. 
uh, exists. Schools will be overburdened by low-performing and corrigible students. And he acknowledges, NIMBY and NIMBY, not my backyard, always wins. If I went and I bought property and I've been there for 15 years and now you come in and say, oh, you want to build affordable housing in my backyard? No, no, uh-uh. And it has been controversial. There's, there's no question about it. The other factor... John and Brandon and Stephanie is that the one of the things that we have not seen in Jefferson City that we have seen in Columbia and part of it is their landlocked. There's not a whole lot of land left for them to to grow. And that's why annexation was so big in 2003. We do not see any major new apartment complexes being built. And I'm not talking about low income. I'm talking about just in general apartment complexes. John, the last one I remember, and it's very nice, is up on 179. It's called Cherry Creek up by the old batting cages. I lived mm-hmm. there. You, 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 yeah, you did. I didn't realize that. Okay. So Cherry Creek, but that's the last one. And that that was built, what, a decade ago? Well, the bank loaned it to me because it went under. And so it was actually uh, like in bankruptcy. And I, 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 wow. I my, my, my leasing agent was the bank at the time. And it was like in 2009 or whatever. And that's I talked were, to a developer when this, wow. this whole discussion came out about the HDC money that didn't make it. That he said, well, he was thinking about building some apartments, but he was saying, maybe I'll build three complexes, but these are going to be upscale apartments. They're not going to be entry level. Yeah, I mean, my rent at Cherry Creek was pretty expensive. And initially, the the concept was it was going to be sold as really nice, like $200,000 condos. They were going to be sold as condominiums initially, and now they're apartments. But I, I want to go back to what Brandon was saying with... Um, you know, the types of people that live in workforce housing and, and something that I learned when I was at that um, Jefferson City housing uh, conference. And, and I think, and it came from the mouths of the developers themselves, the people who deal with tenants. And they said, actually, like we would, without this red tape and the gov- the issues with the government, we would love to have these people. They make some of the best tenants. And like, it's surprising, but they said, look, like, People who are really mobile, people who are constantly jumping jobs, we have to pay to turn those places over every time someone moves in and out and clean it and everything else. The types of people who live in workforce housing, they tend to live there for a long time, and it makes it really easy on us. Also, if you might have had some troubles in your past, typically you're on your best behavior. And so all of the developers stood up and said, no, like they make Excellent tenants. Some of the best, some of our best tenants were our tenants on afford, you know, on an affordable housing program. But because of you know the government regulation and everything else, it doesn't make financial sense for us to keep offering that because of, of other reasons, not because of the tenants. In the Charm Tree development, I don't remember. And uh, John, you and I were both news directors at the time. I don't remember any major problems over there. Um, some of the neighbors in Westview Heights were worried about it, but I mean, it, I, eventually, again, I think it's closed now. I don't think it's I think still you're open, right, right? But I, I don't remember any major issues at all. Off the text eight seven four ninety three ninety from Bill. When I moved to Jeff City in eighty five for a state job, lots of rental property near the Capitol. Now a lot of it uh, is uh, is torn down. So uh, it will continue to be. A co- Somebody had the idea, actually, if you drive down 70 and you start going through, well, actually, even in Columbia, but then you start going through Callaway County and you have all of those solar farms. Somebody said, seriously, not even trying to be funny. What if like affordable housing or places for the homeless? What if you put them out there at the solar farms where you've got this land, but a lot of people are already displeased with what it's being used for? They say it's, you know, and this is all we're doing is we're putting a solar farm there. Since we have this land, isn't there something else we could do with it? Like maybe workforce development housing or services uh, for homeless people. Put them out there on these uh, solar farms. Just a thought. We're just spitballing here. By the way, uh, Passion 
There was uh, people protesting, union folks in uh, Columbia, and they want more money. Call, uh, and it's some city workers. There's a local union protest uh, doing a protest at Columbia City Hall, demanding higher wages. Now, so the city spokesperson, excuse me, <clears throat> uh, told our news partners at ABC 17 that the city has given multiple raises just in recent years uh, to laborers local 955 since April of 2021. Uh, they gave 2.1% in April of 21, another 3% later that same year, another 3% the next year, another 4% later that same year. Uh, so what do the protesters want? The goal was uh, to let everybody know about the conditions, uh, the lack of pay for the city workers, uh, the trash workers, the mechanics, uh, just wanting them to get more pay and, and, and just be appreciated. We all want more pay, don't we? Isn't that what we all want? Yes. Um, according to news accounts from ABC 17, protests started at 5. This was happening in Columbia City Hall because we had people ask, what was happening at City Hall 5 o'clock? That rush shot where everybody saw it. It's about 50 union members. Uh, they attended the rally. Uh, they didn't stay that long because uh, they're passionate about higher pay unless it's too cold. Apparently, the cold weather made them wrap up early. So, I guess. They weren't that passionate about it. This is Wake Up Mid-Missouri with Brandon Rathert. Enjoy. Up to over some of the things we didn't get a chance to get to during the uh, during the show today. I think some of my leftovers, uh, we got some really good listener email. Should have opened up the mailbag, but never should on yourself. That's what I always say, but some really good ones in there. So, Mr. Marsh, I will start with uh, start with you. What do you have for leftovers this morning? Well, the the guy Blues fans love to hate, Bobby Hull, the Hockey Hall of Famer and Stanley Cup champ, died Monday at 84. The guy who played for those rotten Blackhawks and the Golden Jet. Thousand-plus NHL games, 12-time All-Star Bobby Hull finished with 610 goals and 560 assists in his career that went from, like, the 50s into eighties. the 80s. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And he fathered Brett Hall, another blues legend, by the way. So Ste- Bobby Hill passes on the Golden Jet. About that, yeah. Didn't like him when he was playing for the Blackhawks. Uh, did that Stephanie Bell, what do you got anything interesting for leftovers? So I got a couple of emails. We were talking about Joseph Asai. He is the guy who tackled Patrick Mahomes while he was out of bounds, basically basically put the Chiefs in the Super Bowl, and he gave a very emotional, uh, he met with reporters after the game. The guy is crying the entire time. In a dire situation like that, I got to do better. Things are happening so fast there, obviously. Did you, did you have any idea you were, you were at that sideline there? I mean, obviously you're in full. So he goes on the whole time. He's just got tears uh, in his eyes. Listener Jack sends us an email. We weren't. Just so we're clear, we weren't making fun of the guy. We were actually doing quite the opposite. We were talking about how big of a deal that is for him to be able to get out and face the media after something like that. Basically, it's your mistake largely why the Chiefs are in the Super Bowl and uh, and not you. But Jack wants to know, how much fun would you be making if, uh, let's say, it was a school administrator that broke down and cried because of their mistake? Jack, don't come at us with your sound logic and reasoning. Come on. <laughs> That's... 
That's pretty good. Uh, Roughing the administrator was the call. 15 yards, automatic, first down. Richard also said while we're in the vein of schools, he said, you know, uh, I have never voted in a school board race before. He says, I will be voting now. And that's one of the things we Mm. were really big on the more. Listen, you know, we go out and we vote for for Eric Schmidt to be our U.S. senator. And we go and vote for these big things. The more local or the more important. Richard, thank you so much. For sharing it because yeah your city council members your school board members i would if they said brandon you can only vote in the the the, the uh race for city council or school i would vote in the school board race in a heartbeat that tax taxpayer dollars uh uh, uh you want that to reflect your community, and that's just not what's happening in Columbia. We're getting negative press over what Dr. Yearwood and these people are, are doing there. Uh, I would vote in the school board race before I would vote in the race for City Hall. Uh, updates on the statewide races in 2024. We're getting word that um, Will Scharf is having an event tonight where he might uh, like kick off or and, and formally announce uh, which race he's entering of course he's expected to be entering the attorney general's race we heard um last week that andrew bailey was officially kicking off his campaign had opened a campaign committee and we're kind of seeing a lot of activity right now because statewide lincoln days is coming up which you and i are both planning to attend uh is it the weekend of the 10th uh in springfield missouri um but a lot of folks uh start kind of ramping up their campaigns because that's a big meeting of republicans across the state and people want to be able to show up there and and work the room and and campaign and so i'm expecting some more activity you know there's lots of other statewide races out there there's some folks like i know david gregory's already announced for senate um other folks eyeing uh various races in 24 so um i always look forward to kind of the run-up to lincoln days and the big thing that happened at last year's lincoln days of course senator josh hawley came out and and endorsed Congresswoman Vicki Hartzler for Senate. Uh, did not help her uh, help her race apparently.